I'll ask if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue in this series. And, and I simply entitled the message this morning, I don't always stick a title to it, but sometimes something will stand out in my mind and I just think, wow, I'd like to give it a title this morning. And, and so I took the liberty of doing that and I, I came up with the title, well, the Lord impressed the title on me, Living Up to Your Calling. Living Up to Your Calling. You know, it's really distressing to see somebody that has potential in art or finances or, you know, education or sports or music or, you know, just talented people. And, and for whatever reason, they, they fail to realize their potential. And, and at least, you know, potential fans frustrated and family and all of that. And, you know, I, I know that you, like myself, we don't want to frustrate our Heavenly Father. We want Him to be pleased. We want Him to look at our lives and to, to see us living up to the calling that He's given us as the people of God. We'll talk about that significant calling that is ours in Christ Jesus. But as I indicated, I'm going to read out of chapter 2 of, of uh, 1 Peter. And you just have to pardon me for just a second. I should be there, right? Okay? But uh, I got, I'm, I'm moving back and forth in my Bible with the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. So I was getting ready to read the text for the ordinance of the Lord's Supper again. But we won't do that. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter. If you would look with me, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, and, and this is backing up into where I preached maybe a couple of weeks ago. But that's okay. Uh, I just want to lay the foundation. No pun intended because we're talking about the foundation, the cornerstone and all of that. Therefore, to you who believe... He, speaking of Christ, is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's a quote right out of Psalm 118, verse 22. And then in verse 8, Peter goes on. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. Peter's quoting Old Testament to give legitimacy to what he's about to proclaim here about the significance of Christ in the life of the church and in the life of the believer. He goes on in verse 8 and says, They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they were all, also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into, the, into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Verse 11, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, maybe your translation says aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, if you can hold your place there, I would love to take you back to Ephesians chapter 1 for a reason. Because I want you to see some parallel similarities in the passage you and I just read in 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to what Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he greets the church at Ephesus, his brothers and sisters in a church that he was responsible and helping to start. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. These are, these, these are also familiar words for us who have, who have read this and studied this, this wonderful uh, passage and salutation by the Apostle Paul. 
He said, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us acceptable in the Beloved. Now, when you hold the words of the Apostle Paul that we just read in Ephesians 1 up against the words of the Apostle Peter, there's similarities there because the Apostle Paul in those heart-stirring words of introduction and greeting and encouragement and admonition to the church at Ephesus sounds a lot like Peter as he's writing in this first epistle to churches gathered in the northern part of Asia Minor. These two great men of God, these giants of the faith, these two pillars of the early church have the same basic concept in mind as they're greeting God's people. They're helping Christians to understand that there's a strong correlation between knowing who they are in Christ, knowing who they are in Christ, and in the way that they live their lives as Christians. Same principle applies for you and me. Because the more that we understand who we are as children of God and all the things that we're going to talk about in our glorious superior identity, the more that you understand who you are in Christ, then it will affect the way that you live your life as a Christian. And that's what it's all about. And so I think about, you know, even though we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, don't ever lose, uh, lose sight of that wonderful reality. Don't ever allow yourself to, to become entangled with the things of the world such that you don't rise above it to embrace the reality of who you are as a citizen of the eternal kingdom of God in heaven. And so that affects the way we live our lives down here. And so the first thing we'll be looking at is our superior identity as God's people. It's more than just a label. It's more than just wearing a cross on a lapel or having a, a, a bumper sticker. It's more than just telling people, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, just like you might say, I'm a member of the Rotary Club or I'm a fan of this or that. You know, these words have a way of lifting the spirits of God's people. And I think, I think we as Christians, especially going into the Advent season and looking ahead to Christmas, we ought to be getting spiritually pumped. You know, I think about the football season. Of course, it's coming to a pitch now. You know, with, with so many of the teams, high school teams and college teams that are vying for their place in playoffs and, and, and looking ahead with great visions of championships and trophies and things like that. And, and there's a real pitch of, 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 you know, fervency in the spirit of the fans as, as these cheerleaders and, you know, get up before the crowds and they get them to chant. And, you know, I can remember, you know, uh, think about some of the sports chants that, that boast of who they are, their identity as a team. You know, you may recall something like, you know, we are the Panthers, the mighty, mighty Panthers. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are. So we tell them, yeah, y'all probably remember that. <laughs> why, why, why do we allow the sports arena to monopolize the enthusiasm and the excitement of life when we think about, you know, why, I, I don't advocate that you go around singing in your neighborhood, I am a Christian, a mighty, mighty Christian. But, but there's nothing wrong 
We're being so positive about who you are as a part of the kingdom of God, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, as a member of the family of God, just realizing this wonderful superior identity that is ours in Christ. And I want to emphasize, it's purely by the love and the grace and the mercy of God, sovereign God, that we have this superior identity. I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, it's not because of who you are simply as a person. I don't care how talented you are, how intelligent you are, how much you have accomplished in this world. It's not through your works or my works. We don't deserve this honor. We certainly haven't earned it. It's only by the grace of God. But you know, before we launch into that, I want us to look at the contrast that Peter paints here between those who are a part of the kingdom of God, who have this superior identity. And I say superior, not in a bragging way, not in an arrogant way, as if they say we're better than other people. But the fact is, you stop and consider your fate, you consider your state in the eternal scheme of things compared to a person who has rejected Jesus Christ. And, and, and my goodness, there's a stark contrast there. And Peter's holding up the superior identity against the contrast of those who have responded towards Christ, the cornerstone, and rejected him. And ladies and gentlemen, you know as well as I do, the vast majority of the people in this nation have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The majority of the people on the globe today, billions of people, have knowingly rejected Jesus Christ as God's, whole, God's Son Savior of the world. So th this is a lot of people. And without consider, without faith, they don't even know him. That's why we want to share the gospel. You know, I was thinking about Jesus' own personal earthly ministry when he came on the scene. And, and when he went back to his own hometown in Nazareth, if you have your Bibles handy and, and want to go back to Matthew chapter five, uh, Matthew chapter 13, I want you to look at verse 54 and 57 because here's Jesus. He's been out in the region of Galilee. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's impressing people. I mean, people are just mesmerized by the authority that this man possesses. Unlike any other teacher or, or rabbi they've ever heard, he's working miracles. He's feeding four and 5,000 people and, and families. He's, he's giving sight back to the blind. He's causing the lame to walk. My goodness, he's doing things that never seen happen. He's healing diseases that were considered absolutely incurable. The word is out in the whole region. And now Jesus is coming back home to Nazareth. And I think it's so important. There's no ticker tape parade. There's no banner saying, welcome back, son of God, to the neighborhood that you grew up in. We do know that he went into the synagogue and he read the scriptures there and he was teaching. And, and, and so pick up with me there. I just want you to see even his own people, even the people that he grew up around, some of these are extended family as well as friends. And we'll see that. Look in verse 54, chapter 13 of Matthew. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astounded. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Speaking of Joseph. Is not his, Mar his mother Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they were, look at verse 57, so they were offended at him. 
But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. In verse 58, and he did not do many mighty works there because their unbelief. Isn't it amazing? That right there under the noses of the very people who saw and witnessed Jesus growing up, they still didn't know him. They didn't recognize him. They were walking in blindness of sin. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about those in this world who are walking around who have been spiritually blinded by the little God of this world, talking about Satan. And there are many people who are walking around who do not know Jesus. Now, I thought it was interesting in Nazareth, Jesus' own hometown, they were so familiar with Jesus that they didn't even, didn't even recognize him. They just said, oh, that's Joseph's boy. That's just Mary's boy. This is just, you know, these are just brothers. They couldn't even in their mind's eye, because God hadn't revealed it to them, they could not see who Jesus really was. I think about the, the multitude of people in our country today who are so familiar, follow me now, who are so familiar with the cultural Jesus that they can't even recognize when they're presented with the biblical Jesus. Oh, they like that Jesus that's so cuddly and warm that walks around with a lamb around his neck and he's saying blessings to everybody and he loves everybody and he, of course, is going to bring everybody to heaven with him and he never would offend anybody. Oh, they love that Jesus. And they'll, they'll bow down to him anytime and they'll talk about him. But then you present the biblical Jesus. The Jesus who is just and holy, who hates sin, and who will bring judgment upon the world. They don't even know him. But one day they will know him. So in contrast to this, this amazing superior identity that we have, think about those. Think about their fate. I hope you're thinking about people that you know, loved ones that you know who are lost. I, think, I hope you're, you really consider not just the condition of their life now as they walk around in spiritual darkness, but consider what happens when they breathe their last breath. Their heart stops beating. Listen, that's not the end. That's just the beginning of the torment for the person that is living in spiritual darkness who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Their fate is spelled out very plainly in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1 and verse 6. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, speaking to the Christians in Thessalonica, and to give you who are troubled rest with us whom, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, do not know Christ, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of the power of God. Over and over, Jesus would say, as he taught those powerful parables, talking about the end of time, he talked about those who would be cursed because of their spiritual ignorance because of their lostness because they had rejected him and Jesus said to them to those who reject Christ he will say depart from me you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels Matthew 25 verse 41 what a horrible horrible fate and yet sometimes we as God's people the church we act so casually about it. 
As if, oh yeah, maybe one day they'll get saved. Oh my goodness. If you knew that they were about ready to get in, in, into a car that you knew somebody had placed a bomb in, wouldn't you do something to interrupt them, to interfere them, to stop them somehow from getting in there and meeting such a, a fiery fate? What about eternity in hell? So we contrast that. Don't lose sight of what happens to those who reject Jesus Christ. Even as we celebrate what waits for us who have received him. Well, let's talk about this superior identity that is ours as we look at verse 9. There's something obvious that Peter does in the grammar because he just described the horrible fate of those who will be judged by God because they have rejected Jesus Christ. But in verse 9, he turns and he does a roundabout, if you will, in, in, in presenting the contrast for those of us who know Christ, whose identity is in Christ. He says, but you, in contrast to those, but you, he says, are a chosen generation. A chosen generation. Do you understand? That's the terminology that God used all the way back in the book of Exodus when God was establishing his covenant with the nation of Israel there with Moses. He was telling them there in Exodus chapter 19. Listen to these words. God said to Moses to tell the nation of Israel as they're getting ready to enter into this covenant relationship with the holy almighty God. He says now for now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be a special treasure to me. Wow. The sovereign creator of the universe saying to one group of people, you will be a treasure to me. Above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Do you hear what God was saying to Moses, to the people of Israel? They would be his chosen generation. And they were. They had the opportunity to function as a witness to the world, to draw people to holy God, that they might repent of their sins and turn to God and, 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 and walk in faithfulness to God. But you know what? We are also that chosen generation. We know the fate of Israel. We know how things turned out ultimately for that nation. We're seeing that in our Bible study and Christian growth group, Sunday school, if you will, on Sunday mornings at 9.30. And if you're not in a Christian growth group class, let me invite you to please get plugged into one. We've got some powerful, wonderful teaching in the Old Testament that would help you to understand what actually happened to the nation of Israel because given the opportunity to be the chosen generation, the people of God, they rebelled against God. They immersed themselves in wickedness and immorality and God brought judgment upon them. And now he's extending that wonderful, gracious opportunity and privilege to those of us who make up the body of Christ known as the church. We are that chosen generation for this time, during this age of grace. That's 